Good morning, Covenant College. Thanks, uh, Chaplain Lowe, for introducing me. Again, my name is Keske Dota, PMI Missionary to Japan, graduating class of 2014. Let's go, Scots. Um, it's a huge honor and a pleasure to be here. It's just really wild and crazy because it's not too long ago. I was, I was sitting over there around that area with my hall. I don't know if it's still suburbs over there, but is it? Let's go. <laughs> suburbs. Um, Standing over there, and I'm just going to be honest with you guys. I, uh, in, ch in chapel, I was doing my best to stay awake. Uh, probably working uh, for my assignment that was due in 1145 at times. And so I can't be too upset if any of you guys are thinking about doing that in the next few minutes. But I, under uh, I think you guys are a lot smarter. I trust that you guys are more disciplined than I am. So there won't be any of that going on today. So... Um, I have great fond memories here. I met my wife here and uh, spent a lot of time at the Yellow Deli all pulling all-nighters. And uh, so, yeah, that's awesome. It's still kind of the same. You guys have a good. The Chartwells is like, or it's not Chartwells anymore. That's the nice part. Buildings are nice. And uh, anyways, I'm going to stop talking. You guys are like, I don't care. This old man talking about old covenant stuff. But um, anyways, if you guys have your Bibles, turn with me to Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel 37 and we'll go through verses 1 through 10. And as you're turning there this morning, I want to share with you guys about my own story as someone who has been both on the receiving end of the service of missionaries in Japan and someone that is going to be a missionary himself as we look at this passage of Ezekiel together. And we'll do so by highlighting four points. So the points are these. <clears throat> in the midst of hardship in a hard place, we are called to trust in his power by preaching and praying for the work of his spirit as he redeems and restores his people. So place, power, preach, and pray. So before we dive in, let me open us in prayer. Father God, we thank you for this morning. Thank you that so many of us here after the past almost two years now with COVID can gather in this room and worship you together, sing songs, and listen and open to your words. So we have your book open. I pray that you will now open our hearts and our minds to be, uh, to desire to grow in you through your word this morning. In your name I pray, amen. So follow along with me. Let's start by reading Ezekiel 37, verses 1 through 2. It says this, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. So to give a little context to where we are in the Bible, Ezekiel was a prophet sent by God to prophesy to the exiles of Judah, who had been carried away into captivity by the Babylonians, right? And these people, these Israelites are in despair, they're discouraged, you know, they're thinking, our God wasn't able to protect his own land wasn't able to protect his temple. He let the temple of Jerusalem be defiled and destroyed, and now we're in exile. He allowed his people to go into exile and suffer. But even though we know, as we you know, refer back to the Old Testament, that they're in exile because of their continuous sinfulness and rebellion against God. So this valley that Ezekiel sees in his vision is referring to the circumstances of the Israelites. The valley is the exile, per se, and the bones essentially referring to the people of Israel. And these are the people that Ezekiel was called to prophesy to, right? That there is going to be 
a new king, a restored land, and the good news of the Messiah, and they're going to be heirs of the king. But if you think about it, these Israelites are in exile, right? They're not going to be able to listen to this good news because they're suffering. They're in the worst situation possible. It's like, why, Ezekiel? How, how, how can we believe that God is going to come through for us? And can you imagine being Ezekiel and be like, Lord, why are you putting me in this place that seems so impossible to reach these people, for them to hear God's word? But thanks be to God for us, we have the rest of the Bible. We see that, in fact, the Lord can use even the evil, in this case, the Babylonians, for his good and for his sovereign plans as he restores and redeems his people. So I was born and raised in Japan where less than 1% of 126 million people are Christians. And that 1% is actually including the Roman Catholics, the Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, anything that has to do with uh, Jesus. And so if we're talking uh, evangelical, reformed, and even Presbyterian, it's probably like 0.00001% of people uh, in Japan are in that group. And as I reflected on my own life, I realized how blessed I was that I was that 0.001% and ended up being uh, born with both my parents being a Christian. I grew up in a church that consisted of 15 members, so our family made 20% of the church. Um, <laughs> And it wasn't rare outside of church and missionaries. To, I, I rarely ever met any Christians, rarely met anybody that even knew the Bible or ever seen one. And no, no one could really, not many people could differentiate between Christianity or any other cults that existed in Japan. So for the missionaries in Japan, think about this. It, it, Japan was their valley of dry bones. Yet they were continued to call by God to faithfully proclaim the gospel and to pray earnestly for these people that God will show up in their lives and save them. And oftentimes, they were super discouraged, right? They were thinking, am I cut out for this? Is God really going to work in this place where 0.00001% is the people that were, you know, that are kind of the church that we're serving at, and we don't see much grow? The crazy thing is, um, it is very normal for missionaries there, where after working five-plus years, and still not see anyone come to faith or be baptized. So can you imagine, guys, being a pastor or a missionary, serving every day, hard, hours after hours, and not seeing the fruit of your labor. So I grew up in this, you know, sort of situation or place, and I was one of the dry bones myself, and I didn't know much about Christ. I, I didn't know how much it took for missionaries to get what they gave up to serve in a country like Japan. But one thing that I look back and notice is that these missionaries continued to come and continued to be faithful to their call and continued to preach and pray for the people of Japan. And that's why it took it decades ago my parents were saved, and then now I'm standing here as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ in, at Covenant College and preaching in front of you guys, which is just crazy. So the Lord used these missionaries to give us new life as believers, but it was in his time. And to give you guys hope, it, was, it sounded kind of depressing, and maybe none of you guys want to even think about going to Japan anymore, but I, I promise there is fruit. God is working, and now in the city that I grew up in, have six different church services between three uh, different church plants within the last 30 years. And, yeah, praise God. Um, and I understand most of you may not end up being missionaries overseas where Christianity is the minority religion, but we do live in a day and age where actually Christianity is starting to become a minority religion here in the States, where people 
think that Christians are, you know, bigots, homophobes, judgy hypocrites. So how are you going to respond when you're surrounded by ideas and beliefs that you stand against as a believer? How are you going to respond when God feels so distant? Better yet, how are you to respond to God's call as believers who has been given new life? Well, let's keep looking and see how Ezekiel responded. Look with me to verse 3. So Ezekiel sees this vision of the valley of dry bones, and the Lord asks him a question in verse 3. He says this, And the Lord said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And Ezekiel answered, O Lord God, you know. So I want to stop here and take a moment to think about this question and Ezekiel's answer. Because Ezekiel's placed in this valley full of dry bones and is asked, can they live? I mean, logically and practically speaking, the answer should be, you know, resounding, no, they've been dry for a while, it's dead. It's not like he's seeing a bunch of dead bodies that may have just died a few minutes ago and he can go resuscitate them one by one, you know? There's, he has no power in that. It took a long time to get to the point where they were very, very dry. So I would think and assume that the answer would be something like, no, Lord, how, how are they supposed to come to life? Or why are you asking me this question? I have no power to bring them back to life. And we see in, uh, in other places in the Bible, it's like when Moses, if you remember in Exodus, he was pleading to the Lord that he is not the one to rescue the Israelites from the Egyptians. He tells God, I am not eloquent in my words. I am not the person, so don't send me. Send someone else. But the Lord mercifully tells him, he says, I will teach you the words and I will be with you. And he even gives, uh, sends Aaron, his brother, who he trusts, as a spokesperson for him, right? Think about Jesus and his disciples. Jesus' disciples were ordinary men, and some were even guys that you would not expect to be called by Jesus, like Matthew the tax collector. You'd think there are many other Jewish teachers, rabbis, who knew the law, the Old Testament, like the back of their hands, that we would think are more suitable to be Jesus' followers and disciples, right? I want to share with you guys a story about a man named Tatsuya Shindo. He was, from the age of 20 years old, he smuggled drugs, stimulants in and around Tokyo, and existed in a nationwide Yakuza group called Sumiyoshikai. Yakuza is a Japanese version for like a mafia or a uh, cartel, um, gang member, you name it. He was arrested 15 times, he was convicted seven times, was imprisoned three times, and on his third imprisonment, when his own Yakuza group excommunicated him from his, from his group because he was just out of hand and just so crazy and out there, he met the Lord through a Bible that was given to him in prison. And after he was released, he vowed to live a different life if he followed God, and then he studied at a small seminary and became a pastor and is now preaching to those who are outcasts of society like former Yakuza as an ex-convict in a small bar in downtown Tokyo. And if you have met me 10 years ago when I walked on this campus, you would have never thought I would be standing here. I mean, these guys, no. <laughs> I wasn't ex-Yakuza or anything, don't worry about that. Um, but I would have never thought I could or would be a pastor. I, I felt so inadequate. I still feel inadequate. There are so many people that knew the Bible way more than I do who have better prayer life than I do, who are more generous, who are more loving, who are more gifted at preaching, you name it. <laughs> but over time, through God working in my heart, through different people affirming me to pursue ministry and go to seminary, and now approved as a full-time missionary to go back as an ordained pastor in Japan, 
I can't help but to see and be amazed of God's work in my life because I would have never chosen or been able to do any of this on my own. So we don't know why God chooses, for some mysterious reasons, inadequate and broken and sinful people to be his vessels to share the good news, but he does. So going back to Ezekiel, Ezekiel would be a good example for, for us to know how to respond. He knew better than to just say no. He said, what did he say? His faith moved him to say, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. He knew that if God wanted them to come alive, he could make it happen. And he also understood that there was no strength or power in himself that can make that happen other than to see God work through him. So in situations when we are in doubt, when we question what we should do next or how do we respond in a hard situation, can we respond like a faith, like a faith like Ezekiel? To trust that our God is a God who has the power to raise the dead to life. I mean, our whole religion is based off of a man who had resurrection raised from the dead, right? And if we believe that our God can raise the dead to life, then he can use any one of us for his own glory. So the question is not if he can or can't do it, or you think you can or you can't do it, but it's whether if it is his will to do so and how. And so we see that the answer to those questions here is yes, it is his will to use his people, and then we see the how in the next verse. So how does he do this? Through the preaching of the word of God. Let's keep looking in verse 4. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you. And you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So we see then the answer to the how is by Ezekiel prophesying and speaking to the bones that God will give them new life and put breath in them. So the breath, the word breath here in the original language here also can be interpreted as spirit. And so we can interpret it as he will pour his spirit in them and make them come to life into the bones. And we also see this word used in the previous chapter in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, which is a key passage in the book of Ezekiel, where the Lord promises to give the Israelites a new heart and a new spirit. So the word used for spirit here in the, uh, chapter 36, 26, is the same word used for breath in our passage. And so we can find comfort and encouragement in this because we see that clearly, yes, it is our, our job, our, our, our uh, call to preach, but it is clearly God's work, God's spirit working in them. And this is not just a calling for pastors or missionaries, but for all believers. I don't know about you guys, but I grew up all my life thinking that it is the pastor's job or the missionary's job to preach the gospel. And mainly because I felt pretty inadequate to do so. I felt like I had all my issues and doubts, so who am I to share the gospel? But we are all called to proclaim the good news on all of us who are Christians. And we see that in the scriptures. It is evident that he does, because if you guys remember, Paul says in Romans 10, how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? So it is crucial that we as followers of Jesus Christ obey our call to share the gospel to our friends, to our neighbors, to our coworkers, to the ends of the earth. So missionaries preaching to non-believers is important, but preaching the gospel to believers as a believer 
is also important. One of the most impactful experiences spiritually for me was Sierra Covenant College through my roommates. Some of them are sitting right there. I came here with a very skeptical heart and outlook in life. I came from a community college down in Orlando. Uh, I was in a pop punk band and was in really uh, bad things going on down there. But God led me here, and, but I really had a cold heart towards people, Christians. During the OT meetings or uh, hall events or something like that, you know when we're like, oh, who wants to pray before meals or something like that? There'll be these guys that'll be like, oh yeah, yeah, me, 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 I'll pray, I'll pray. And I'll be like, man, you're just volunteering because you want to look good to the girls or look more like a holy Christian and, you know, and I was, I was just a jerk, you know. Um, and so I was very skeptic and so my sophomore year, I was rooming with these guys who liked to pray a lot and who, who read the Bible and talked to each other about their faith and I was like, oh, here we go, you know. And, um, but what I realized that was different about them was every night, almost every night, I would come home to my room, to my dorm room, I would see one of them on their desk praying, reading the scriptures, or singing worship songs by themselves. And I thought, hmm, they're doing this by themselves, so they're not actually trying to show off to anybody. They truly want to pursue relationship with God. And something about that was so attractive to me, and my, my heart was, the Lord used that, to change me, and I wanted to pursue, have what they have, that relationship with God like they had. And they taught me that it was okay to share our struggles and it's okay not to be perfect in our faith because it is by grace we have been saved through faith, and it's not our works, but it's the gift of God. So we can never know how God will use us. My roommates struggled just like all of us with doubt, but they kept going back to God, kept sharing the gospel to each other, and kept praying for one another. And that is what God calls us, all believers, to do. And that is what brings change because believing that our God is a God who can do the impossible, raise the dead, dry bones come to life. And he uses us and our words and actions to bring change in people's lives. And it may be uncomfortable, it may take a long time to see change, but our call stays the same, and we are called to be faithful and trust in his work and not ours. Which leads to the final point, which is probably the most important, which we find it easy to not prioritize as much. Prayer. Look with me in verse 9. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, the vast army. So when Ezekiel prophesied to the bones, the, the bones came together, their tendons or sinews were attached, and flesh came upon the bones with skin, but they had no breath in them. It was only a partial restoration. So they looked closer to looking like people, but they were still corpses, right? So what does God tell Ezekiel to do next? He says, prophesy to the breath or the spirit and appeal to it to come and breathe life into the corpses. So the first part, Ezekiel was commanded to prophesy and say to the bones, listen to the word of the Lord. But the effects was limited in a way. Then in the second part, the Lord tells Ezekiel to prophesy or inquire to the Spirit, which essentially is the same thing as praying. Praying to the Holy Spirit, praying that it will give life to the dead. Like to breathe into man's nostrils the breath of life the same way God made humankind in Genesis. So why is this two-phase restoration significant? 
Because now, this time, with preaching and prayer to the Holy Spirit, the restoration was in full effect. In verse 10, it says, I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them, and they came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. And I love this quote from a commentator in Ezekiel. He says, what preaching by itself failed to achieve, prayer made it a reality. And this is significant because so many times we often think, preach the gospel, preach the gospel, preach the gospel. And we can begin to think and focus on our own strength or our own skills or our own gifts and how to, you know, get better at doing that. Then we depend on our own skills and our own gifts rather than trusting in the Lord's power. Or on the other side of the spectrum, we can focus on how we're not good enough and we're not gifted enough and that there are so many people that are better than us at preaching the gospel we start looking at our own faults again instead of how God can work through anyone that he wishes. So we are reminded here again, it is the work of the Spirit, the power of the Spirit through prayer, and that is the reason why these bones came alive. My senior year of high school, um, after I graduated high school actually, that summer I was invited to go to this youth camp. And that summer I decided that, you know what, if I'm going to be a Christian, I want to know why and not, because, and not make the reason just be because my parents wanted me to. And I was kind of tired of it because I felt like a hypocrite because at that time, my faith was very work-based. I thought I have to be holy or do all these things that it says in the Bible or I'm not saved. And then I thought everyone else who pretended like they can do that well was all hypocrites and I was tired of it. So I said, going into this camp, pray to God. I said, if you're real, you're gonna reveal, reveal yourself to me in this camp. Otherwise, I'm, gonna, I'm done being a Christian. So I went to this camp, told my camp counselor and my roommates and all that stuff. After a few days, nothing happened. I was still very hard-hearted. Second to last day at camp in one of the worship sessions, I prayed the same prayer again. And the Lord met me there. And I, I felt this presence that I've never felt before, the comfort and joy and peace that I've never felt before. And I heard in the back of my head, I heard him speak to me. He said, Keske, I have always been here but you never looked for me. And what's crazy is, you know, I was on an emotional high. I was like, well, I don't know what, was the, what, what that meant. But afterwards, I told my camp counselor who I shared, I said, you know what, I'm done being a Christian. You can go ahead and share the gospel, pray for me, whatever, but I'm going to be done after this camp. So I shared what happened to him, and he started bawling. He was just like weeping. He's six foot four, like 280 pounds. Like he's a big dude. Now like, this is really awkward. Like, <laughs> why are you crying right now? And he, he shared, he said, Keske, I was praying for you during that service the whole time that God will reveal himself to you. And that changed my life. From that moment, I believed that there's definitely a God that was pursuing me and believed that God would never let me go and the importance of prayer. Yes, we're called to share the gospel and share our faith, but what is also crucial is praying to our Lord and Savior for him to do his work. And I can admit myself that I often forget and rely on my own strength or my own um, shortcomings rather than going to him in prayer as much as I should. And to believe that God is the one who can change people's hearts, especially in a place like Japan. But our God is a God who has shown his grace and provided a way to talk to him. And you guys know he delights and us going to him. We don't have to go kill a lamb and present it to a priest for him to listen to us. 
anymore. We don't have to go to this temple or shrine and throw a bunch of money, see who can throw the most money, and then God will listen to that person. We don't have to do that. God will still listen to us. He'll listen to us right here, right now. He'll listen to us on the way to class, on the way to work, on the way home, in your beds, wherever. (laughs) And the scriptures even talks about how Jesus says, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or ask for a fish, give him a serpent? If you who are evil know how to give good gifts, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So I encourage and exhort you guys to keep praying. Keep praying for those you may know that may not know the Lord, your family members maybe, your friends. Pray when you are in doubt and you struggle with trusting that he is a good God. And it may not be the answer we want or in the time that we want. I'm not saying that you, just because you prayed, whatever you want is going to happen. But we know it's for our good, and I know, uh, or we really don't understand what God's plan are. But we can trust that he works all things for the good of those who love him. So some of you in this room may be fired up to share the gospel and are gifted at doing it. And that's awesome. And keep doing that. But don't forget to pray and not depend on your strength and gifts so you don't fall into you know, self-righteousness or fall into despair when you see no fruit. And others of you may feel distant from God in the place where you don't even remember when was the last time you prayed to him for more than two seconds. I still encourage you guys to pray to him and be honest with him. And, I, and like I shared, I was there. I did not, I had never prayed. And that was the only prayer that I prayed was God reveal yourself to me. And I want you guys to be encouraged because all of you guys in this room are being prayed for by so many different people, that your hearts will be changed, that you'll continue to grow in your faith, and that God will continue to work in your hearts. So God uses his people to share the good news of Jesus Christ, but it is his work, so we can find comfort in that. So in the midst of hardship or a hard place, we are called to trust in his power by preaching and praying for the work of his spirit as he redeems and restores his people back to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that it is not our work but yours, that you have saved us from being dead, dry bones, and you gave us new life and new breath, and that you would use broken vessels like us for your good and for your kingdom. Father, help us to trust in your goodness, and in your word so that we can go out and love our friends, family, neighbors, and because of that, love you better, and that we'll delight in what you love, love what you love, and you'll teach us to hate what you hate. We thank you for this students and this time that we have to worship you together. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.